What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Georgia prepares to ramp its businesses back up. Virginia Senator Mark Warner lays out his concerns about reopening economies too soon. Reopening should be a priority, but it's got to be data-driven. An Atlanta-area hair salon owner says what's required to open safely in the new normal has her stretched too thin. This can't happen overnight. I'm just not prepared to do this. And oil's demand drops off a cliff. Energy market historian Dan Jurgen on the coronavirus's unexpected shock to the system. The number one commodity, the most prized commodity uh, today is storage, not oil. And there aren't very many places in the world to put it. It's Thursday, April 23rd, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Welcome to Squawk Box. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Let's take a look at what's been happening. Another week in the pandemic, another round of unemployment data. This week's Labor Department report of initial jobless claims revealed an additional 4.4 million Americans have newly filed for unemployment benefits. That brings the five-week total to well over 26 million people, completely erasing job gains for the last decade since the Great Recession. 4.4 million is actually lower than the number from last week, which could be a sign that the coronavirus impact on the real economy may have hit its peak. But the curve differs state by state. In New York, for example, claims this week were about half of what they were a week before. In Florida, though, new filings were nearly double. While the number of Americans signing up for unemployment benefits grows, states like Florida are setting near-term timelines to reopen their economies. Earlier this week, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp announced his plan to partially reopen his state's economy as soon as tomorrow. Governors of Ohio, Tennessee, and Florida, as I mentioned, have also tested the waters with reopening plans. The announcements prompted backlash from some public health officials, lawmakers, and the president. Here's Becky Quick. Virginia Senator Mark Warner is here, and obviously he's been watching all of this play out. Uh, Senator Warner, thanks for joining us today. If people are home, aren't getting paid, can't open their businesses, they're getting more and more frustrated with this. How, how do we handle this? How do we kind of figure out where it's okay to open up again and where it's not? Well, I think two things. One, clearly people are frustrated. My concern is you know, reopening should be a priority, but it's got to be data-driven. I think the president's own um, recommendations have been you need to see 14 days of declining cases. And my concern is if we send back people and only half the workforce goes back because people are concerned, or God forbid they go back and you get another spike in the virus, and then you may lose the con- confidence of your folks entirely. I know as a former governor, I would be you know, having this as data-driven as possible. The president did ask me to serve on his, um, on his task force, and I'm, you know, my contribution, I hope, will be we need more testing. Testing, testing, testing. And the fact that we don't even have a common information data site out there that can say what are all the tests that have been approved, what's in the pipeline, what is the FDA about to approve, that might give us all a little more guidance on what the schedule might look like. Because if we can do the testing in an efficient way, do the contact tracing, then I think we can move, as we've seen the cases come down, into a reopening phase. 
I just wonder how long before we get some of those things, the testing ability and, and the data ability, based on everything you know. Well, the FDA has been in the process of approving both additional swab-type tests and the antibody tests. I think they're both proceeding on a parallel track. In the bill that's passed today, hopefully will be passed today, there's $25 billion for testing. That's a remarkable investment. And clearly the testing has to be coordinated on a national level. The one thing I hope the president would not try to impose, similar to, I think, the mistaken way that he's approached PPE, which is, you know, every state for themselves, simply driving up the cost of this equipment. The testing level has to be coordinated at the national level. The fact that there's not already a national information site out there, I've actually started to work with Johns Hopkins University, who created the definitive site on tracking the virus. They're now trying to create, and I think we'll be going live shortly with the, the definitive site on testing. We have that information. That will be a great guide to governors and others on reopening. Senator, sorry about that, having technical issues here today. Um, yeah. Let me just ask you, though, it, 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 we're doing this state by state because it's hard to come up with a federal plan when there's so many differences between the states. But even within the states, there are huge differences. Uh, cases, obviously, are much higher in the cities and in congested areas and in states where you have lots of rural areas on right outside some of those cities. That may be a big part of the problem, too. Do you, do you think this needs to go almost by a, on a county by county basis or is that problematic? Well, I think we need to look at it both state and region-wide. You know, my state, Virginia, very, very large state. You know, I live up in the greater Washington area. You know, you can't just open northern Virginia without dealing with D.C. and Maryland. On the other hand, we've got parts of our state, southern Virginia, south side, southwest Virginia, that are eight or nine hours away. They might have a different reopening schedule. But even in some of those rural communities, we've seen counties with a dramatic spike. So um, I do think... You need flexibility here. There will be some regional reopenings, um, but you got to have that testing equipment. And one of the other things I hope we can get to is uh, what we're also going to try to do in terms of uh, restarting the economy in terms of some of the federal support, because I've got some different ideas there as well. Yeah, I know. Why don't you explain that to us, uh, ways of trying to reach out and help small businesses as well as what we've already seen? Well, what we've, what we've got right now is you know, we've, we've got kind of a barbell approach where we've done a very generous program for the airlines and parts of air cargo. And even with the challenges uh, with small businesses, 500 and under, we've got the eight weeks of, of payroll and uh, a little bit of overhead. We've done, frankly, nothing for the middle market, the so-called Main Street facility. I don't think the take-up rate's going to be very great. There's no loan forgiveness. So we've got this cliff effect. If you're under 500, you get everything taken care of. If you've got 700 employees, you got nothing. So looking at, at how our reaction has been and with the numbers, which I'm sure we'll see a little bit later this morning of four or five additional million additional unemployed, maybe we ought to take a step back since this is probably not going to be a V-shaped recovery and look at actually what Europe has done and actually put together a paycheck um, support program, a paycheck security program. I've laid out some ideas there and we've got support on this idea ranging from Bernie Sanders on the left to um, uh, Josh Hawley, a very conservative senator from Missouri on the right, and a whole series of kind of opinion pages from left to right. The Europeans have only seen a 2 to 4% increase in unemployment because they've had this direct payroll support. Um, our plan would get rid of some of the problems around the PPP program. You'd have to actually show a 20% revenue decline, so you wouldn't have some of the abuse that's taking place. We would use the payroll processors to provide direct 
payroll support for folks up and down the food chain and might be a chance as we look at this COVID-4 package uh, that will come up in a couple of weeks to step back and say, if this is going to continue this level of support for the next few months, we may learn from what's happening, um, what may be better uh, approaches from abroad. Candidly, right now, with $6 trillion that we've already put out before the $500 billion Today, when you add in the 13-3 Fed lending facility, you know, there may be a smarter way to uh, dis- distribute those resources. Senator, some interesting ideas and, and ways of refining this. Uh, we hope you'll come back as we move closer towards uh, kind of addressing the next package, too. Thank you for your time today. Next on Squawk Pod, a Georgia salon owner says the state's plan to reopen her business puts the economy ahead of people's lives. And she's not sure how she can do it. Salons, tattoo parlors, you know, this is hands-on stuff and you can't be at a distance from people. And later, the story we have been talking about all week. Oil, oil everywhere, and hardly a drop that anyone wants. Pulitzer Prize winner Dan Jurgen joins us. This month, probably world demand could be down as much as 30 million barrels a day. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Tomorrow, Friday the 24th, is the day that Georgia is planning to reopen some businesses in the state. Among the first non-essential businesses on the list that Governor Brian Kemp said could open, gyms, hair salons, spas, all places that make social distancing a challenge. Georgia's Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan spoke with CNBC yesterday. The steps that we're taking are very incremental, measured steps moving forward. And and we continue, like other states, to look and analyze a number of different sources of data and and analysts that have looked at that that information. I think one of the the most important pieces that Governor Kemp and and his administration and our team has looked at is really looking at the abundant number of resources available at hospitals around the state. Georgia's plan to reopen the economy did get some pushback from President Trump at yesterday's White House Coronavirus Task Force briefing. I told the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, that I disagree strongly with his decision to open certain facilities which are in violation of the phase one guidelines for the incredible people of Georgia. But at the same time, he must do what he thinks is right. I want him to do what he thinks is right. Uh, But I disagree with him on what he's doing, but I want to let the governors do. Now, if I see something totally egregious, totally out of line, I'll do. But I think spas and Beauty salons and tattoo parlors and barber shops in uh, phase one, we're going to have phase two very soon. It's just too soon. I think it's too soon. So what do Georgia entrepreneurs think about being told they can get back to it? One small business owner joined us today via Zoom, Diane Fall, owner of Maxim Barbers in Decatur outside of Atlanta. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Curious about your plans to reopen. Well, um... I'm definitely not opening this Friday. Um, I, de- I can't, I don't have a calendar date for opening. Um, after reviewing the guidelines, the OSHA guidelines that we would be required to follow to even start 
this process of opening, it's overwhelming. Um, getting together all of the PPE, um, just the, the amount of, uh, of supplies it would take uh, to source supplies and uh, is um, it's on I, yesterday I, I went on the internet just looking for capes because they're saying you have to use uh, one cape for each client. Um, and I looked for disposable capes. There's nothing out there. Um, you, you have to have an infrared thermometer to take the temperature of your, your employees and each client who walks in the door. Um, it, this can't happen overnight. I mean, there's no way it could have happened by Friday. Um, so again, I, I'm just not prepared to do this. And it really, we have to restructure the business as well. We're uh, walk-in only. We don't take well, appointments. Let's just talk about sort of what this process looks like for you. You're saying you have to restructure the business. You're going to have to get all of the, this different and new equipment, what the cost of that is going to look like. Um, right. You know, whether your employees want to come back to work, what they're telling you. Well, I have, I have some great people who work for me. They, they're long-term employees. They, they want to come back to work, but they're fearful. And so am I. Um, I, I, I just think that you've, the, the, the state is opening the, the businesses with the most uh, physical contact, you know, salons, tattoo parlors, um, you know, this is hands-on stuff and you can't be at a distance from people. I mean, we can distance chairs um, and that type of thing, but we can't, uh, we have to be <laughs> very near people. So to get the PPE um, supplies we need, that's, that's going to take a while. Um, I, I think, too, that the numbers are, are just not saying it's time to open up. Um, we haven't done the testing, although I did see an article in the paper today that they're going to implement a contract, uh, a contact tracing program, which that that's hopeful. Um, but I just, I think there's a lot of people out there who don't think this is the time and I'm one of them. Well, let, let me ask you though, talking to other business owners um, in your community, uh, there in the state of Georgia, what are you hearing from them? Because clearly there was at least some vocal group of business owners who got the ear of, of, of your governor to press ahead with this plan to move forward? Well, it, it seems to me, I, I, I'm in Decatur, which is adjacent to Atlanta, um, and I don't know of any restaurant offhand who is going to reopen. They're, they're successfully operating right now with delivery and pickup. They're, they're, they've got a good system going, and they don't see how they can open up their restaurants at this point. Um, I've talked to other salon owners indicator and they are not opening um, people. And, and even the ones who are, are waiting till at least May 1st. I don't know why that's a particular date, but, but again, back to what I said, you, you have to source this, the, the, the PPE and the supplies that you'll need to, to right. open the doors. So it doesn't sound like a lot of businesses um, are going we, to open. Diane, uh, we wish you a lot of luck uh, over the next oh, couple of weeks you. and months. And uh, we do hope to, we do hope to hear about your progress and where things stand. So come on back and we'll uh, we'll continue this conversation. But thank you and good luck. Great. Thank you very much. Coming up, oil's wild ride rolls on. Dan Gergen, longtime energy analyst on the supply, the lack of demand and where the world's oil will go. We're going to come out of this with large inventories, much larger than 2014, 2015. Those will have to be worked off. 
Squawk Pod will be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane. You're listening to Squawk Pod. The global slide in demand for oil is keeping the markets on edge despite a price bounce yesterday. The contract price for a barrel of oil delivered in June rose about 20%, but it's still closed at just around $16 a barrel. So investors are worried that contracts could fall back into negative territory, which happened earlier this week for the first time in history. But oil's recent strength over the last two days has done little to dent crude's enormous 75% loss this year as the coronavirus pandemic sapped about a third of global demand. Analysts are also warning that storage around the world is quickly reaching capacity. Today on Squawk Box, Becky Quick spoke with Dan Juergen, IHS market vice chair and economic historian. Juergen won a Pulitzer in 1991 for his book, The Prize. It's a sweeping history of the global petroleum industry that came out just before the Iraqi invasion of Kuwait, the pre to the first Gulf War. He joined us via Skype this morning. Here's Becky. What do you think about where oil stands today? A big ba- jump back up with the June contract now setting uh, above $16 a barrel. Is that uh, something that seems like a fair price because we've bounced all over the place this week, especially with that May contract? It certainly bounced back from the May contract. And I think this reflects more of what's actually happened in the market. That was a, an anomaly, but we could see more anomalies. But the real thing is that it's the storage, the number one commodity, the most prized commodity uh, today is storage, not oil. And there aren't very many places in the world to put it. And uh, so what we're going to see is cutbacks in production uh, as people adjust to this market. As you watch the cutbacks in production, I mean, these are all things that take a little longer to work through. And I guess the the big question is, what happens first, these cutbacks in demand or a a return of people trying to use oil again as as at least states around the country start to open up and other markets in the world start to open up, too? How how long do you think this plays out from a supply-demand picture? Well, this has really been a big hit. I mean, this month, probably world demand could be down as much as 30 million barrels a day. And... uh, When the world does come back slowly, demand will go up, people will start driving. But meanwhile, what you're you're seeing is that people, in addition to uh, the natural decline because of lower uh, investment, people are actually shutting in production. We think something like 2 million barrels a day of U.S. production will be shut in. And I would add that obviously it's real pressure on companies. Uh, Our numbers are that that the major E&P independents have cut by about 40% their budget so far this year. And one very important thing to keep an eye on that I think will develop this week or next week 
is a lending program to these companies to help them keep in business that uh, the energy secretary is working on, Dan Bruyat, with the Treasury Department, which will be very important for maintaining these companies for when we come out of this crisis. What kind of damage do you think happens in the meantime? Obviously, the administration can roll out packages and, and, and try and help some of them, but it's, it's probably not going to be enough for all of them. What, what do you think we end up seeing after this all shakes out? Well, I think when it shakes out, we'll see a number of smaller companies disappear. Uh, that will be one consequence. And I think budgets will be cut uh, a lot. And so much depends, as with every other industry, how long the shutdown and what happens with the, with the virus. But I think that... Um, you know, there's a lot of oil on the water that's looking for homes now, and there'll be more of that. Uh, we may see more official cuts by the producers. And remember that big deal that was negotiated about almost two weeks ago doesn't actually take place till May 1st. And that will go partway to relieving some of the pressure. How do Saudi Arabia and Russia fare as part of this? Is OPEC going to be strengthened in the long term? Well, at this point, OPEC is not what OPEC used to be, Iran and uh, Venezuela, which were patriarchs, are kind of out of the game. So a lot of it is around Saudi Arabia, uh, uh, Abu Dhabi and so forth. I think OPEC is there as a framework. I think Russia is in, a, in some ways is in a stronger position because their budget was based upon $42 barrel. Now, not 20, but 42. And the Saudi budget was 65. So the Saudis have more cutting to, to do uh, than the Russians. Both of those countries have uh, liquidity funds, sovereign wealth funds to draw upon. But I mean, it's a big hit for uh, both of them. And of course, like other countries, they're also dealing with the with the virus, which also can affect operations in the oil industry itself. Dan, what what, what are the unintended consequences or the long term consequences that maybe we haven't thought through yet? What are you thinking about? Uh, obviously, you know, one thing we're focused on is the question of investment, where companies, you know, they're cutting back their budgets. Uh, they're going to be tight going forward. So how much do they spend in terms of, let's say, energy transition and how much on their uh, basic uh, business? So that's part of it. You know, we will see if we have, you know, we're going to come out of this with large inventories, much larger than 2014, 2015. Those will have to be worked off. And if you have low uh, oil prices for a time, what does that do to the effort to, you know, move more electric cars into the market? All right, Dan, it's good to see you. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Tweet us at Squawk CNBC. And we'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.